To Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Let's pray. Father, we are exploring deeply that question, who do you say I am? And we ask that you reveal it to us. You reveal more depth to us. You reveal more truth to us. You make it more real to each of us. We ask that you intervene in these next few minutes that you speak to each of us and help us to be open to your words. Amen. So I want to look at um, three questions. So who is this Jesus that suffered and died? Why did he do that? Why did he suffer and die? And how do we respond? So pretty straightforward. Who is Jesus that suffered and died? Why did he go through that? And then how do we respond to that? And it all kind of begins with the idea that, that death is real. It's something we'll all face. It's that 100% statistic. Everyone at some point will die. And it can be terrifying. It, the unknown, the what's next, that I'm not ready. The, I, it's, it's something we have no real information about. No one's come back from that place and say, this is what happens exactly next. We have ideas. We don't have anyone who can say definitively, this is what, this is what it goes like. And many of you know my mom died Christmas morning just a few weeks ago. And we travel, my family traveling actually this afternoon. We're going straight to the airport to head to the UK for her funeral on Tuesday. So it's a very real reality for us, like this idea of there's an end, there's a change, there's a something next. And um, she um, spent the last 10 days or so in hospice care at home, which was uh, a gift, a privilege. And um, holding her hand in that room, death wasn't terrifying. Death was just another step in a journey into a deeper, more complete relationship with Jesus. And it was beautiful. And it was sad. And it was, I went back after Christmas. I, I, I came back to New York Christmas Eve, early in the morning, and then flew back again a couple of days later. Um, and, and she died Christmas morning in the, in the bin in between. And, and I was with my dad over the, whatever it was, 10 days following Christmas to help do all the things that you have to do. And it was kind of weird because there's a lot of things you have to do. You have to do. And then you, you realize that there is a lot of things you have to do. You have to, in, in England, you have to actually register, a, a, this is more information you care about, but you have to register a death in person. And you have to go to a registrar with an appointment and they lock the door for some reason. And so we're in this locked room with a registrar and a fountain pen, because it has to be signed in a fountain pen, because British, you know. Um, and it's, it's weird. And that, those things you have to do. And you have to do those things. And you have to deal with um, wills and, and stuff like that. There was a whole discussion about probate, which I didn't, I thought it was a medical condition. So apparently we didn't need, anyway, we did all those kind of things. And there's a whole other bunch of things that you think you have to do. So we were in the, the funeral home. The day I, I left, actually, it was in the morning. I, I flew in the evening, and we were, we were doing some of the, 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 the arrangements for, for the funeral, you know. And um, 
One of the reasons, or the reason, I guess, that the funeral has, has been taking so long to get together and it's not till Tuesday is because apparently, and I don't know what the act, there's probably a different term for this, I don't know, but I, uh, the best way I can describe it as it is hard to find grave diggers. Who knew? Things you don't think about. Things that you're like, oh, that's a, I guess that's a thing that you have to find. That's actually a specialist job. Okay. So that's, that's why it's taking so long. We were doing things like that, and we were in this meeting. It was like a t- couple hours, and well, actually, I don't know how long it was. It was four cups of coffee worth, however long that is. I don't know how long that is. And um, they were like, okay, well, you need to, you know, we need to do, we need to do this. And, and um, uh, her name's Madge. Madge is in our care. And I was like, well, not really, but okay. If that, sure. Mom's in your care. That's fine. We need to go through a few things. Um, we had to choose, this is super, this is get, it's not morbid, I swear, it's really weird, and I like sharing it because it's the weirdest thing ever. We had to choose um, an outfit because um, my brother particularly, but people wanted to maybe visit in the Chapel of Rest, which, okay, that's what people find helpful, fine. We had to choose an outfit. Now, I find it kind of hard to choose an outfit for myself when I'm going out somewhere. So to choose an outfit for my mom when, well, she's not going anywhere, was really weird. So we're choosing this outfit. My sister and I, we choose this outfit. We're like, okay, great. That seems good. We'll send that over. That seems perfect. Okay. Do you wear shoes in this situation? What kind of shoes would you wear in this situation? I'm like, I'm assuming, I'm assuming you should be laying down, not in some kind of like pose. So I, I mean, do we, do you accessorize? Do you have like a clutch? Do you, do you bring up? Is there a tennis racket involved? I don't, I don't understand what we're supposed to do in this situation. So we're like, well, let's give more than enough. And maybe worst case scenario, they'll enjoy the hilarity of that. They'll never tell us and it'll be fine. So we went through all that. And, it, and it, that's why I said, that was the weirdest thing we have to do. No, it gets weirder. Because you're in the room and they bring out, here's a binder. And there's my dad and I, and we're like, okay, what's the binder? And you have to choose a casket. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that's a thing. Shouldn't matter, but it feels in, in the moment everything feels so important. Like, and it, and it really doesn't, but it just feels so important. So we're like going through this binder, and I'm like, um, and my my dad was like taking a minute, and I was like, okay, Kelly, I don't know what her name was. Um, here's the thing: I don't mean to be irreverent to this moment. Um, if I keep turning pages, do you just keep adding zeros? Is that how this works? And she was like, well, no. I mean, yes, but no. I mean, it gets to solid oak, and then it's engraved, and, and I was like, uh-huh, and then we're going to bury it, right? And so my dad and I did this. We both, without talking to each other, said, I mean, like the second one up from the cheapest, right? Uh, yeah, I think I'm right. <laughs> Because it doesn't really matter, does it? It matters for us because it's an honoring moment and we're looking at a legacy and we're appreciating what has been and we're, we're giving thanks for what, what we've had. And, and it's really about the hope of, of the next thing. And, and it's weird that it's taken this long to get to this point of closure. And, and in England, it's a little bit more formal. We like funerals, we like the somber occasion. There's, there's limos involved, there's, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, we managed to get it down to just two processions, but they wanted more, it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Um, and, it's, and it's interesting, because that's really, that's really for us. That doesn't really that doesn't do much for her. For her, in that room, with her family, calling on Jesus, that's what matters. Waiting on him, and the assurance that she is wait, was waiting on her. Because the good news is that if we put our faith in Jesus, we don't need to fear death. 
we feel that tension now of, of, of loss and, and of grief and the person that's gone in this world. And we have that hope that we know there's something else. And that's actually a weird tension to hold. It's weird to hold it for, for a long time. But it, it's weird, but we don't need to have fear for that. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we're healed. Continues. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So to make sense of Jesus' suffering and death, I want to circle that passage and dig into it a little bit this morning. Because the Bible is our source of, of, of why that happened and how that happened and the things that kind of led up to that. And it's the Bible that, that paints that picture, that, that describes the significance of Jesus' death, that allows us to have that freedom from fear. So he, who is this Jesus who suffered and who died on that cross? Well, let's look at what Jesus said about himself. Let's start there. That, that passage in Isaiah is a prophecy given 700 or so years before the birth of Jesus. And it relates to this man called you know, God's, God's servant, He's been appointed by God to save his people throughout the world. And it's part one of Isaiah's prophecy of this coming Messiah. This Messiah and Christ kind of means the same thing. It's God's chosen king. And Jesus applies that prophecy, the prophecy that is given to Isaiah about the suffering servant. He applies it to himself. And on the night before he died, Jesus says this in Luke 22. He says, it is written. It's in scripture. It is written. He was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. So that, that quote, he was numbered with the transgressors. Also, it's translated as counted among criminals, might give a better picture. And it comes from, from verse 12 of that Isaiah 53 chapter. It's Jesus. He's saying directly, he's being prepared to be killed. He knows what's coming. He's saying directly, that prophecy, those words are about me. I'm the suffering servant of God. What Isaiah says about God's servant gives us the answer of the significance of Jesus' death. Jesus claims directly to be that Messiah. And that's what we're going to do over the next few months. That's the whole point of this series arc. It's about that conversation, that, that, that chapter I read at the beginning, when the disciple Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah Jesus tells him, yeah, you're right. Helpfully, he also says that, Peter, you didn't work this out for yourself. You don't even get that. You don't even get that. You don't even get the, the, the kind of accolade that you figured it out. No, no, no. You only know because I told you. You only know because I revealed it to you. And it's God that reveals it to us, ultimately. Jesus agrees. He's the Messiah. He calls God his Father. And then Jesus tells the disciples more. In Matthew, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on that third day be raised to life. It's not the kind of Messiah that Peter, for one, was expecting, but Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to him. Jesus, the Messiah, is going to bring in his kingdom by dying at the hands of his enemies. Why? for a great purpose. Jesus said later that he would die in Mark to give his life as a ransom for many. 
His death would be the price that would have to be paid so that we could escape eternal death and hell and we can find forgiveness and eternal life instead of fear. To solve that problem we all have, he atones for the sin that has dragged us away from a perfect relationship with God. And he said he wouldn't stay dead. He'd be raised from death to live forever. He'd defeat death itself. And that, that would be God's proof that Jesus really is the Savior and Lord of the world. So that's who Jesus said he was. Who do you say Jesus is? And I suggest you, you really grapple with it. You really wrestle with it. I worked in youth ministry and children's ministry for a long time. When you work with, with younger people, it's really apparent how easy it is, especially when you're young, to assume or adopt or inherit a belief from your parents or a lifestyle. I mean, your belief can run in any depth from shallow all the way down. It can be a faith depth. It can be something really shallow. There's a point in your life you realize, actually, maybe I actually like peanut butter or mushrooms. But my parents told me I didn't because they never wanted to make it. There's, a, there's so many things you realize, actually, you know what? Maybe I'm a cat person. I just never knew it. There's so many things. It can be challenging to start making decisions, any decision for yourself, for that matter, to step out of what you knew and what you were brought up into and actually own it for yourself. And some of that stuff stays the same, and you're still not a cat person, and you just own it for yourself, but you challenge that thinking. Is it mine, or is it someone else's? Outside of your culture, whether we're talking like culture, like society culture, like broad culture, or small family culture, where do you stand? When your back's against the wall, when you're in the lion's den, what is your answer? Who is Jesus? He claimed to be the Son of God, the Savior, the Lord of the world. Is that true? And if you're not clear in your own mind how to answer that, please, please investigate it further over the next few weeks and months. And the best way to do it is to engage with the reading plan that Marcy is sketching out. We're going to start in Isaiah and the Old Testament. We're going to transition into the Gospels. So really lean into that. Your own personal journey is going to be so important for your own personal answer to that question. Dive into discussion topics in community groups like we did yesterday. That's what it's like. Lean into Sunday teaching. C.S. Lewis wrote this famous passage, and, it, and it's really helpful in summing up the central issue of Jesus' identity. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. Because a man who was merely a man, yet said the sort of things that Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he'd be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. So you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him the Lord and God of your lives. And I want to emphasize the weight of that decision. I just signed up for Orange Theory in Tribeca. It's new. It's just starting. Yeah, you did too. It's, yeah, yeah. 
there's um, some good deals if you want to sign up prior to launch day, because I don't know when that is. But the thing is, if you sign up for a gym, especially one that isn't even built yet, that does nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. You've just signed up for something. There's nothing to be proud of there. It was the e I can cancel it any time. There's no buy-in. And I think sometimes we see Christianity a little bit like that. We're like, well, I signed up. I did the thing. No, no, you've got to invest. You've got to believe in the thing. You've got to buy into the thing. You've got to do the work. You've got to believe in the orange theory. Well, I don't really know what it is, but I like orange, so it'll be good. You've got to really own it. Getting the membership, getting the badge, it's not enough. It's not enough. You've got to commit to it. You can come to every church retreat you want. You can enjoy delicious breakfasts. You can sit in hot rooms. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to see Jesus as an extraordinary person. Even unbelievers can accept him as an example of a good life. You cannot have Christ without his teaching. You can't have his teaching without his claims about himself that put him equal to God. There can be no half measures. When you answer the question that Jesus puts to you, who do you say I am? If you stand with Peter and you say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, then you are setting your face against every other worldview and that will come with a responsibility. It's the most crucial question you'll ever face. What I say, because the Bible says it, because Jesus says it, is that Jesus is the suffering servant of God, the Christ, God's chosen king, the son of God. So why did he suffer? Why did he die on that cross? Well, three reasons from Isaiah. First, we're lost. Second, Jesus has great compassion. And third, he acted to rescue us. So we started lost. He exercised great compassion and acts in our rescue. Verse 6 in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We're like lost sheep and we really only have ourselves to blame. We say no to God, we say no to going his way, we say no to staying close to him, and we move along at the next shiny thing we see. Last summer we were, um, we were in the UK and we went to this, what was it called, Gulliver's Kingdom. And it's, so if you think Disneyland, okay, if you think of Disneyland, and then like lower your expectations a million, <laughs> and then step back in time to like the 1970s, that's about where we were. And um, it's, it's one of those kind of, uh, if like off-brand Disneylands, so it has any character they can find that is not patented by a real company that would sue them. Um, and it, and it's, it, it's, it's super hokey and interesting, and it was pouring rain, and my, my brother's kids were with us, so we had, uh, how many of that is, five kids and four adults. That should be a reasonable ratio, five kids, four adults. And we were in, I don't know, we were in one of the lands, you know, they have these zones. We were in like, I don't know, appropriation land or something, it was awful. And so we were in this like Western something and it was kind of inappropriate. And like, well, we, let's go to the next thing. And so everyone's here and we all, you know, like, and we, we do the thing, like ducks moving down the thing. And we turn around, we, ha we don't have Winnie, who's three. We've lost our three-year-old. We thought she was following us. She was following us until we blinked and now she was not. 
So, thankfully, we're in this inappropriate land, and so we, um, like, will you stand here by this exit, and we'll go scatter, and, we'll, and we will go out and search for her. We will look for her. We will try to find her, and we will not stop until we have succeeded. And so we are doing our thing, and we're looking in little houses, and, and, it's, and it's all what it is. And Shay finds, and my wife finds, uh, a gentleman who works there dressed like a wolf. Because... <laughs> This is, you know, it's not helpful when you're trying to talk, something important's happening and they're in costume. You're like, uh-huh. But anyway, I know, yes, you're a wolf. <laughs> anyway, and, he, and he was, we, we've lost our daughter. She's in, a, she's in a purple rain jacket. And he's like, uh-huh, she's there. No, 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 no. That's the other daughter in a matching rain jacket. We, we actually quite like both of them. And we'd like both back. It's, it's not that we've got one, so it's okay. We still want the other one. <laughs> And we find her, and it was minutes, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't long, um, and it's, it's, it's terrifying, and it gets more and more terrifying, but, but we found her, she had, I don't know, wandered off, saw something shiny, she realized she was lost, she realized she was helpless, she realized she didn't know what she could do, and she had no way of getting herself out of the situation. And, the, you know, a, a helpful mom was, well, not really helping, but she was sort of there. So the, the, she'd been kind of looked after for a second. So, okay, everyone breathe, we're all together, it's all good. You're back with us, you're back in the herd, you're back in the flock, you're no longer helpless, you're no longer lost. Let's get out of this land of bazaar and head to Diggerland or whatever the next one was. So off we go, down to Diggerland. We're all walking like ducks, we get in there, I turn around, I've lost Stanley. <sighs> we'd moved like 20 feet and we'd lost another one. And I'm like, okay, I've got to count again. We've definitely, we've definitely lost another one. Okay, so we do the whole thing all over again with a different one. And he'd done the same thing. I don't know what had happened. He was following us. Suddenly he wasn't following us. He was following something else. He realized he was lost. He realized he had no way of getting out of the situation. So he went to the last place he thought we would be, the ghost house. So I don't know why he decided that's where we'd be, but he went to the ghost house and he stood in the middle of like the intersection of paths waiting for rescue, just waiting. And we found him and we rescued him and he joined us and it was a whole thing. We do the same thing. We're just like sheep that go astray. We're just like kids that wander off. And we think we're safe. We wander, oh no, it's good. I see dad, I see mom, I see Jesus, I'm right there. And then suddenly if we don't keep looking, we end up somewhere else with no way of getting out, with no control. We need a rescue. And we just stand in that crossroads and we don't know what to do. We have no power to save. We need a rescue plan. To stray away from God is to rebel against him, and God cannot tolerate that rebellion. It separates us from him. And it's what we deserve when we turn our back on God. Unless, unless we're rescued, we'll pay that price, an eternity of being separated from him as the consequence of our choice. And that's, that's what hell is. That's that, that, that disconnection from God. It's what we deserve when we're lost, when we do our own thing. And God doesn't want us to leave, to, to leave us like that. He doesn't want us to be like lost sheep. He has great compassion regardless of what we deserve. So he sends Jesus on this rescue mission. He sends him out into the theme park to search for us. And Jesus shares the same compassion. In Matthew, he says, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because 
they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that is a powerful, gut-wrenching compassion that's being described there. Because he could have been aloof and indifferent. He could have acted with justice and brought condemnation. He could have made excuses for people and played down their sin. Oh, it's not their fault. It was complicated. It was confusing. But no, he acknowledges our sin and responds with compassion. Matthew 7, Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? His one-word description of the heart of the crowd is evil. And he could have despised them. They're caught up in all their petty absurdities. He could have hated that crowd. They were soon going to turn on him and put him to death. But despite their apparent evil, his heart goes out to them. He knows that when we wander around like sheep, we follow whoever happens to be in front of us. Whatever is, is right in front of us, they have no idea where they're going. We carry on. We get ourselves deeper and deeper into trouble, torn apart by predators, worn down by fear, without the slightest hope of ever getting out of that place we have got ourselves trapped into. Harassed, helpless, sheep without a shepherd. You might have seen, um, there's a, there was, there, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to sound current, but I don't know, there's a, there's a reel, I think, um, on one of the Instagrams or the Facebooks <laughs> that I saw recently, um, very current. And there's this woman and she is, she's running um, through a trail in a French woodland and she's just going for a run or whatever. And she looks behind, and there is a herd of sheep that have followed her. And not just like three, like 200 plus sheep are like, yeah, we're going this way. And then weaving in and out of the trees with her. And you can see, like, she runs a bit, and then they're right there. And then she kind of, well, if I go around, and they're following. Like, the front two are like, that's who we're going after. And then the rest of the 198 are like, yeah, here we go. Because sheep are dumb. (laughs) They do what all the other sheep are doing. They don't stop to consider, is this a good idea? Is this what I want to do? Is this what I should do? No, they just do. They just, oh, we're going. Oh, here, we, here we go. Can you feel the comparison? I bet. It's a description of us. Christ looks at us and has compassion. God's compassion, because that's who he is. And his compassion leads him to the cross, because that's what it took to rescue us. He lays down his life and dies to rescue us. One of Jesus' closest friends, the Apostle John, he was there at the cross. He watches Jesus die, and he writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And again, a bit later on, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The suffering and death of Jesus was our price to pay, and he took it so we don't have to pay that price of rebellion and sin. And that price is that eternity of being cut off from God. Isaiah 53, again, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we're healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He suffered our punishment so we don't have to. Our iniquity, our rebellion against God, all the sin and all the evil that flows from it was laid on him as if it was he who had committed it and not us. He substitutes himself for us and pays our debt to God. He served our sentence, dies our death, sacrifices himself to set us free so we have no fear. Jesus comes to bring us back because of his amazing love and wants us to know eternal life with him. And it took that suffering and death on a cross. So lastly, how do we respond to that? Well, we have to turn back and receive that gift fully. Embrace that gym membership. We have to do the same as the thief who was hanging, dying on a cross next to Jesus, who believed that Jesus was the king and entrusted his life to him. So I think firstly, it means intentionally lean in. I don't think, I don't believe you'll discover or develop and deepen your answer to who do you say I am passively. I think it will take more than just showing up. And then secondly, trust our lives to Jesus. And then lastly, live for him with a life of gratitude. When you're a kid, um, you don't realize what your parents do for you. For a chunk of your life, it's, it, doesn't, it almost doesn't really make sense because for a chunk of your life, you're so young, it's like you're a different person. Like you don't have a recollection, a conscious memory of, of some of the things they do. And thankfully, that, that's true. Like that would be what we'd want it to be for a lot of the ways. But if you have kids, or when you have kids, that realization of what parents do becomes a little bit easier. But it still takes effort to reflect on that gratitude, to grasp what has been done. You can know it, but to really live it, to respond to it, to call it out is a bit different. You could take it all for granted. You could. You really could. But if we're going to respond rightly to what Jesus has done, then we need to go through that same kind of transformation in our thinking, an intentional effort to live a life of gratitude and service. We need to fully realize and internalize that God is the one with the right to be angry. He, he doesn't need to apologize to us. We're the ones that rebel against him, ignore him, neglect him, oppose him to his face. But instead of turning his back, he sends Jesus. He pays our debt. We're forgiven so we can come back home to our Heavenly Father without fear. We can step into the unknown with confidence. Wherever you are on, on that, that scale, if you're just seeking and discerning what that question means, or maybe you have a solid answer for who do you say I am and you have for years, over the next little bit, weeks and months, really seek what Jesus has for you Sit at his feet, discover who he is and what he's calling you into. It might be to deepen a relationship with him. It might be to deepen an understanding. It might be to lead others to him or to live differently. Do you see Jesus primarily as a friend? Then investigate and explore the majesty of the Lord of all and the weight of what that means. 
Do you see Jesus as a judge? Then be enveloped in his great compassion and love. Do you see Jesus as a moral guide? Then explore a relationship that goes deeper than guidelines. Do you see Jesus as a get out of jail card? Well, then press into the reason that he offers such a valuable gift that is completely undeserved. It all starts with discovering who Jesus is and truly, truly challenging ourselves to constantly reflect on and answer, who do you say I am? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great compassion, for the gift of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you meet us as our rescuer. You find us as helpless sheep, and you draw us back to you. We ask that over the next few weeks that you meet with us each of us, you touch our hearts, you speak to our vulnerability, and you draw us closer to you. Wherever we are now, in a few months, we wanna be closer. We pray that you lead us on, give us the strength to do so, amen.